0: Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Are you ready for the Word this morning? Are you ready for the Word? Now, before I present the Word, one of the things I want to share is I'm totally aware of where I've come from. I'm aware of my weakness, my inadequacies, but I'm also aware of who's called me. I'm aware of the God who's the strength of my life. And I'm also, I've also come to a place of of placing my dependency upon the God that I serve. See, each day as believers, because Jesus said we must become like children to enter the kingdom, each day, as believers, we have to grow more dependent upon the God that we serve. We need Jesus more than ever. He is our source. He is the strength of our life. He's our hope. He's our help in time of need. And so don't try, as in the natural way you grow, to be independent from your parents, but purpose in your heart to grow more dependent upon your Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing His Spirit to lead you and guide you. And even as I present this message this morning, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist, who was really a man that brought culture shock to his generation. And, 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 and when I, a lot of the things I'm going to share is, is really going to parallel how his life can connect and relate to you and me. And so we're going to learn some things, and I trust that by the Spirit of God I can communicate what he wants you to hear, know, and run with today. So we're going to pray one more time as we prepare to share this message with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even in this time and moment, Father, that you'll allow us to receive truth that will make a difference in our lives. I thank you for the people that have gathered. Lord, you know exactly where they're at in their present situation, what they're facing, what they're dealing with. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you meet them, even at their point of need. And that you reveal your love, your purpose, and your will for their lives. And Father, thank you that even in moments of despair, you can give us hope and you can strengthen our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things that we've shared all along in this series, and we've covered a, a number of weeks here now, we've looked at different biblical characters, men and women of the Bible, and we've seen how they have shocked their culture. Now, we don't want you just to be those that are shocked by the culture. We want you to step into the realm where you can begin to shock your culture. And how can you shock your culture just as these men and women of the Bible did in their commitment and their surrender and their service to the purpose and will of God for their life? Because I believe that God wants you to be an agent to bring shock to a culture that's upside down. Even in the early church the scripture says they turned the world upside down. Well, actually, they were turning it right side up. It's all in perspective. And so we need to understand that. And so uh, the key verse that we've been using in the series is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And, and you can look at that with me, and I'm going to be reading that from the New International Version. Romans 12, 2 it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. See, there's this thing that we all feel pressured into, and it's called conformity. We want to conform. We want to blend in. We, want, we don't want to stand out or be like a, you know, just stand out uh, in a way that would be embarrassing or obvious to others that, hey, you just don't fit in. But see, as Christians, sometimes we don't fit into a culture that is lacking of, from the standpoint of what God wants to do in that culture. And so you may never fit in, in in the situation you're in until you find your place in the kingdom of God, till you find your place and identity in Jesus Christ, then you will find that place where you fit in, and then it's OK if you stand out and, and so to the world, and like, hey, you don't you, you're kind of different. The Bible says we're a peculiar people, okay? And so that means that there's just something different. There's something unique about those who follow Christ. And, and and rightly so, because our lives should be impacted and transformed because we're encountering Jesus, his love, his word, and it's changing us and transforming us just as we see in this passage. There's the, We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word of God is the renewal agent. It's It's what gives us insight to be able to understand how God thinks, how he processes things, his perspective, so that we can be transformed by it rather than be conformed to the world system. Now, we're going to look at John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, to give you just a little backdrop about his life, he's actually a significant historical figure in the New Testament. He's actually a crossover figure because he transitioned from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. So, Old Testament mindsets versus the New. So, he was at that transition when God was making the change from the Old Covenant that was given to Moses and, and that crew back then to the New Covenant that was established through Jesus Christ. Now, his birth was miraculous. Because his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, could not have children. Uh, Elizabeth was barren. She could not conceive. So they were actually elderly people. They were old people. And so this was a miracle for her to conceive a child. And so... Uh, the Gospel of Luke, actually, if, if you are reading and, and looking and doing some research on John the Baptist, the Gospel of Luke tells the story in greater detail than the rest of the Gospels concerning his birth and other circumstances relating to his life. Now, Zechariah was a priest, and he was scheduled for temple duty. So he's in the temple offering incense at the incense table. And uh, he had a visitation from the angel Gabriel. Gabriel just happened to show up in the temple that day. And, and now certainly we, we here is Zachariah offering incense, and he's burning incense, maybe for different reasons than some of you may have in the past, and all that. So we won't go there, but <laughs> but he's burning incense, it's a good thing. And, and you know what incense is a s- symbolic of? it's it's, an, it's symbolic of our prayers being offered to God, okay? And so there he is, burning incense, and the angel shows up, okay? And and then in verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, this is the first thing the angel said to him: Do not be afraid, okay? Right. This big angel shows up. I'm not supposed to be afraid, okay? He said, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay. Can you imagine? Zachary, looking at this angel, what? No way. But yet this was his prayer. Who knows how many years, how long he's been praying this prayer, but he's been praying this prayer, and now God sends an angel to announce to him that God's going to answer that prayer. And so guess what? He didn't believe it. How many times are we praying for something, for extended periods of time, and then when the answer comes, it's like we stand in disbelief. But this is one of those times that we see this here. And, and so um, the angel went on to, to share a word, a prophetic word, which is a word showing the future of this promised son that, that was just announced to Zechariah. So in verse 14 through 16, we see that in Luke 1. And I'll read that for you. It says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, what's interesting, you see this little, the angel said, okay, you shouldn't drink. This, this guy's not supposed to drink. And, 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 you know, when you look at the Old Testament for priests and for, for individuals, For kings, they were prohibited from drinking strong drink. And the reason was because it would affect their judgment, because they were making decisions. And so it was prohibited for them. But even in a greater sense, it was because of a consecrated life. God had called John the Baptist to a consecrated life. And and so, you know, and we're all called to a consecrated life, and some things are befitting and some are not. Now, some people have the argument that, oh, Jesus drank, but John didn't. Because there's another scripture reference that we see later in Luke 7, 34, where they accuse Jesus um, of hanging with the sinners, hanging with the publicans, and drinking and carrying on. Well, he may have hung with them, but that doesn't mean he participated with their activities. He hung with them to change them, to impact their lives, okay? And so uh, it's, it's really a false accusation. And sometimes if, if you're in a place... And because there's one time, and I have to tell you this, where um, I felt like the Spirit of God said, go into a tavern right on the square here. And I was downtown, and I said, Lord, I don't go in the taverns. I'm a pastor. I don't want anybody to see me in the tavern. They might think I'm drinking. And, and so I'm, I'm walking up, and I look in there, and I see a, a friend of mine in that tavern. And so I went in there, and I went right by him, and I said... What are you doing here? And he it was like, woe is me, and all this was going wrong. And, and I said, you know what? Maybe you don't belong in this place right now. And I began to talk with him, and I actually helped get him out there, prayed with him. And, and, and because, you know, sometimes people go places because they're looking for help. And, and realize this, people, the world hasn't always seen the church as that place. Because people in the world will find it easier to go to a tavern than to come to church to receive help. Well, we, we want that to be different here because anybody that walks through those doors, they're welcome. No matter what condition they're in. I mean, we, we did have a drunk walk in here one time. Yeah, well, do you think we kicked them out? No, we had our ashes minister to him in a different way so they wouldn't disrupt the service. But we didn't just say, get out of here. You don't belong here. We were able to pray with that person. And they were able to make a connection with God in that very moment. And so, yeah. So I tell you, uh, this was also much for Zachariah to take on or take in, so he doubted Gabriel's message. Um, and when finally his wife Elizabeth did conceive, she hid the fact that she was pregnant for five months uh, might be a little bit of embarrassing, you know like you know we're the old people and now we have this w- w- baby coming along. And and so then finally the baby was born. John was born. And we see in Luke one fifty seven that Elizabeth gives birth to this child and the neighbors and the relatives are rejoicing. And then we see in verse 66, uh, because at that time, you know, now you have to understand this. I, I've left out this important part. Because of Zachariah's disbelief and to, for for. God, to prevent him from saying all this negative, doubt-filled words, God made him mute for a season. Until after the child was born and they were deciding what to name him, then his mouth was opened and he could speak again. But during that period of pregnancy, the guy couldn't speak. He was mute. So verse 66, Luke 1, 66 says, And all who heard them laid them up, all these things that were saying, all these good things about what was promised about this child being born, and their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What will this child be? They're all in awe and wonder about this. And so uh, John the Baptist, just to tell you a little bit of what he was like, he was kind of one of those rugged outdoor types. Um, verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, we see a little description of him. Uh, and this talks about his fashion and his diet. Matthew 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair. I don't know if that was in style back then. <laughs> and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. We'll, we'll pause right there at verse 4. Now, I always thought, until I went to Israel, that John the Baptist ate these bugs, these locust bugs, you know, these nasty things, you know, they. They eat plants. They devastate crops, but when I was in Israel, the, the tour guide, we walk over to this tree, and there's these little things that look like beans, uh, string beans, on there. And he said, "This is the locust plant. It's actually, you know, they grow on the tree." Um, and so he, this is what John the Baptist ate. So he was a vegetarian. Okay, and so to just settle you, you know, you think this guy's tough and rugged. He, he didn't eat bugs, folks. He ate the locust plant. And you can look that up and do your own research on that. Verse 5 goes on to say, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And so this is when he actually began his ministry. And it's interesting in Matthew 11. 11 I'll just share this with you real quick. Truly, truly, I say to you, and this is what God said, what Jesus said about John the Baptist, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So when you compare the kingdom of God with the New Testament and the Old Testament, John the Baptist is the greatest figure, the greatest person of that entire covenant period of time, Okay? And, and so those in the kingdom that come into the kingdom, such as you and me, were even greater than John the Baptist. So uh, if you take that home with you today, you can say, hey, I'm greater than John the Baptist, okay? Um, but anyway, now that's if you're in the kingdom, that is, okay? That's, that's a qualified statement. And so we see this character, John the Baptist, this man of God who passionately fulfilled his call. And so there's three significant things I want to address concerning John the Baptist's life that resulted in him shocking his culture. Number one, his mission. Number one, his mission. And we need to understand that he was a forerunner, okay? The scripture actually identifies and addresses him as a forerunner. And he was a forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus to come, for his first coming. So that was a title, that was a phrase associated with his life, with his ministry, with his mission. A forerunner is actually a person or thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else. So a forerunner, it goes out before, it paves the way, it prepares the way for what's coming to come. And so turning hearts was to be his mission. As a forerunner, he was to turn the hearts of the people to a place where they'd be open to what God wanted to do because hearts were turned away from the Lord. In Luke 117, we see this addressed in this passage. Luke 117 reads, and he will go before him, this is speaking of John the Baptist, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he was preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus to come. Now, see, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of a promise that was in the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. is the book of Malachi. In the very last chapter of Malachi, chapter 4, the last two verses, there's a promise that God would send somebody in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet, and, and Elijah was a man that had a heart for his children, had a heart to restore uh, brokenness, And so uh, we see in that closing statement that uh, in the last two verses that God promised that he would send somebody in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the father and to prepare and make the way for the Lord to come. And from the end of the book of Malachi, there was 400 silent years that nothing was written in scripture until the gospel of Matthew. And that's where we take off and that's where we start off with John the Baptist, this forerunner, the fulfillment of the last prophecy of the Old Testament. Now, his calling was to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, his own father had a word and the spirit of God came upon Zachariah after he was born and he began to prophesy over him and in Luke 1, 76 and 77, it says, and you child, he's speaking over his own son, mind you, Will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And see, the, the forgiveness of sins, that message apparently had not been proclaimed in his day. And the message of forgiveness of sins needed to be preached and proclaimed in that day as well as even this day. Because we have a God who forgives sins. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sins and be judged and separated from God for eternity. See, his ministry was in the wilderness. It's interesting that people went out to see him rather than he going to seek people. I mean, they, they were like curious. Let's go hear this John guy. And maybe some were just looking to see, to make fun of him, to mock him. But those that really heard and took to heart what he was saying, they were convicted, greatly convicted. And and then he baptized them, and and the baptism was really for the forgiveness of sins. It wasn't a baptism of uh, signifying that they were following Jesus, but it was them being released of their sins and and being brought up and washed and cleansed from their sins so their hearts would be prepared for Jesus to come. Now, we we also see uh, in Matthew 3... Verses one, uh, citing at verse one, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. In verse two, it says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does it mean to repent? Repent means to change the way you think. And one of the things that John had to deal with in his day that we need to deal with in our day is flawed thinking. People have flawed thinking. In today's culture, we are victims of flawed thinking. Now, as a forerunner, John confronted people's flawed thinking with a message of repentance. Turn to God. And it goes on in in the next verse, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way. For the Lord make his path straight. See, there was a building anticipation at this time for Messiah to come. And so people were saying, saying and thinking, where is he? When's he going to be born? They didn't know that, it was, that he had already been born six months after John the Baptist was born, that he was alive and well. And see, I want to share this with you because John was a forerunner of Jesus' first coming but we too are forerunners of a different sort. We need to have a forerunner mentality because we're forerunners for Jesus' second coming. See, what we do now in our witness and our testimony and our service to God is preparing Jesus to come as he returns to this earth because when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom on planet earth, okay? And so we need to prepare the people for the return of Christ, And he's coming soon. These are the last days that we're living in. Now, forerunners prepare the way for the Lord by preparing people to rightly respond to Jesus in these end times, by making his plans known, by sharing his word, by revealing that God has a plan for every human being to set them free from sin, from addictions of life, from all the junk that is is being imposed upon us in a lost and dying world. And John the Baptist is actually the clearest model in Scripture of an end-time forerunner. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. So secondly, first of all, we talked about his mission. Secondly, I want to talk about his witness. See, he bore witness of Jesus as the Son of God. He really did. He bore witness of Jesus as the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 23... This is John the Baptist speaking. He, says, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then in John chapter 1, 32 through 34, I'm sharing a lot of scripture because this gives you a backdrop so you can see the life, the journey of John the Baptist and what he came to do and accomplish. And so in John 31, setting at verse 32, it says, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. He's speaking of Jesus. See, Jesus at this time uh, approached John the Baptist and when John saw him, that's his cousin, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he followed it up with this statement. I saw the Spirit descend upon him like a dove and it remained on him. In verse 33, I myself did not know him But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now think about it. John didn't know who Messiah would be. He never thought it would be his cousin, his younger cousin. This was a shock to him. But the Spirit of God showed him that I will make it known to you in the right and proper time. And so John boy witnessed that this is he, this is Messiah, this is God manifested in the flesh, the one who will take away the sins of the world and set captives free. And then number three, we see John's motivation. His motivation, and and you can write this down if you're taking notes. It's a scripture, I must decrease and he must increase. See, that was John's motivation. See, John knew his assignment. See, after John baptized Jesus, guess what? His popularity and the crowds begin to diminish. And Jesus' popularity and crowds were increasing. And we see in John 3, verses 26 to 29, I I want want you to see this because this shows the character of of John the Baptist. And they came to John and, and said to him, Rabbi, He was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Okay, so they were acknowledged, okay, uh, okay, we bear witness. This is the guy. This is the guy you're the forerunner for. And then, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. In other words, Jesus, we're we're losing our crowds. I mean, John the Baptist, we're losing our crowds. Everybody's going to Jesus now. We're losing our popularity. And then John answered, and I love this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given Him from heaven. You yourselves, in verse 28, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In other words, I've done my mission. I've completed my mission. So now I must decrease so he can increase. And that's the very next verse states, he must increase, but I must decrease. He was willing to give up his popularity for the sake of Jesus. See, for Jesus to increase in our life, we have to be willing to decrease. It's got to be more of Jesus, less of us. So many times it's me, my, I, all focused upon us. But we don't always take consideration to allowing Jesus to increase in our life so it can be more of him, so people can lose sight of you and and see Jesus through your life. See, that's a motivation that was so evident in John the Baptist's life. And, And, you know... So we see, number, I'm going to go over these points again. Number one, we see John the Baptist, we see his mission. What's your mission? Because you have a mission too. Number two, we see his witness. But what's your witness? Because you have a witness too. And then number three, his motivation. And then what's your motivation? What is it that motivates you? So your motivation ties your mission, your witness together. It really does. Just as John was a forerunner for Jesus' first coming, we are forerunners for his second coming. And I want, in in, in the closing moments, because I want to tie this in because, you know, discouragement is something that we all face. And it's interesting, after John had completed his mission, he still preached, and and he got himself into a little trouble because he began to criticize King Herod about having his brother Philip's wife Herodias and so he began to say it's not right King here that you have this woman well that got her upset so because of his wife Herodias uh, he arrested John and put him in prison and then you know the story later he was beheaded and he gave his life but while he was in prison he began to question and wonder why am I left in this prison? Why has Jesus forgot me? And then he, he talked to two of, his, of John, John's disciples who were there, and he said, you know, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Because he began to doubt what his whole life and ministry had accomplished and what he bore witness to. He began to question and doubt that. See, those times you and I have questions and doubts. And it's usually because we're facing discouragement. And we begin to question everything. John began to question everything in that prison cell. Because in his mind, if Jesus is who he is, he's going to be the next king of Israel. But John didn't know that that kingdom was to be at a later period of time at his second coming. That he came as a suffering Messiah in his first visit to this planet. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman Empire John had probably, just waiting for the day, Jesus is going to show up and, and get him out of that prison and, and send Herod who knows where and take over the throne, but he didn't do that. And so it's interesting because we see that Jesus, in Luke 7, says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them then he said and blessed is the one who is not offended by me you see John was offended by Jesus and Jesus addressed it there some of you may be offended by Jesus, he let you down, he didn't come through he didn't answer your prayer. But in this moment, I believe that in the service that God wants to minister to you if you are in a place of discouragement and you say, God, what about me? You forgot me. No, you haven't been forgotten. But you have a mission to complete. You have a purpose to fill in this earth. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around right now. If you hear and you say, Pastor, you know, I don't know that my life is right with God. In fact, if I were to die today, I don't know that I'd be ready to meet him. You may have a belief in God but you may not have a relationship with him. There's a difference. To be in a relationship is to know him in a personal way. And Jesus will make himself real to anyone that calls upon his name, that receives him into their heart as their Lord and Savior. And maybe you're here today and you have a void in your heart. And it's only Jesus that can fill that void. It's only Jesus that can give you that true peace. It's only Jesus that can forgive you. You may try to deal with the guilt and justify any sin in your life or everybody's doing it, but you know what? You can't just totally eradicate that guilt because your conscience is is still nagging and tugging at you, revealing that, no, you're wrong. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior who came into this world, who John the Baptist was the forerunner to announce and proclaim and to bear witness of. And we can bear witness of him here and now by acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God in our life. And I'm going to lead you in the prayer. If you're here, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know that my life is right with God, but I'm ready to surrender my heart to him now. I want to make my peace with him now. Just lift your hand. and We'll pray with you. Thank you. If there's others, just hold up your hand for a moment so I can see it. We're going to pray together a prayer to receive Jesus as the Lord of our life. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. I acknowledge that I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were sent to be our Savior. I believe in you right now, and I receive you in my heart. I believe you died for my sins, and you rose from the dead to give me new life. Give me, Jesus. Cleanse my heart. I give my life to you. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to stand together, and and I'm going to pray for those of you that may be facing discouragement. Because as, as believers, at times we can be discouraged, we can face discouragement, even as John the Baptist. And maybe you're in a prison cell of your own. And yet, you're questioning God, why am I in this prison cell? Why haven't you come and set me free? Well, we're going to look to God because he is the one who sets the captives free. And if you're facing discouragement, today I have a good announcement for you that Jesus bore your discouragement. The scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, when we are faint in our heart. Let's talk about discouragement. When we're faint in our heart, We need to look to Jesus because we look to him who bore our sin, our judgment. He took upon so much upon himself so that we could be set free. Father, I just pray for anyone in this place today that's battling with discouragement. Maybe they heard a negative report. Father, even in light of the events of this last week, there are many people discouraged because of this helicopter crash. and Father, the death of Sheldon Father, we know that in this moment, you're able to come and give courage to the discouraged, to give strength to the weak. In the name of Jesus, we we look to you, Lord, even in this moment. We look unto Jesus. You're the author. You started our faith, and you're going to finish it. We look to you, oh God. Father, I take authority over discouragement that would lock people into that, that prison place, but that they would be released in the liberty and the freedom that's only found in you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.